Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the About to Review podcast. Here to amplify diverse voices in media, I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and you can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreview.com, which has full links to the show notes and guests. While you are on that website, if you want to support the show, there's a direct PayPal link as well as an Amazon wish list. Also, make sure to follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and also youtube.com slash about to review. On this week's episode, I am joined by the other half of the Northwest Nerd podcast uh, that I had dire on recently with an episode with Tim and I, but joining me for this week's episode to talk about Hellboy, Master Z, Itman Legacy, and some geek news is Nick Jaren of Northwest Nerd. Woo! I love that I'm the other half. I mean, like, I get it chronologically, but it felt weird to be called the other half of Northwest Nerd. I don't know why. I think that I we're mean, equal halves. It was not going to be the lesser <laughs> half. It's just like, I had one, now I have the other. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I might be like a 49% stakeholder. Mm. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, so Nick is joining me uh, via the Skype machine. Uh, because, yeah, scheduling, being adult is tough. And, like, trying to get people in the same room at the same time, that gets hard. Yeah, it does. And I, I'm, I'm psyched to be on the show. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then one quick thing that I will uh, not announce, because it's not really, like, a huge announcement. This is the official three-year anniversary episode so I'm going to put in some Rasta horns somewhere and edit it. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, so this is this is officially three years. Like the first episode of About to Review that had an official review on it was, yeah, April 16th, 2016. Wow. Congratulations. Then. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it is pretty crazy to think about. Uh, and that first episode was about Batman versus Superman. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow what a what a way to start i mean i i think that one of the main things i tell people about uh podcasting is that just be prepared for the grind and you are just one of the ultimate grinders in podcasting like just all of the congratulations for making it three years like this is a huge achievement oh thanks man i really i appreciate that it definitely it is it is a lot of work uh, as as somebody with your background, uh, you know what it is like to produce a a show, a weekly or daily show as you used to do in your in your other life. <laughs> yeah, my radio life. Right. So but yeah, so I just wanted to say that and just thank everybody for all of the support over these uh, three years. It, it has been a wild ride that is not ending anytime soon. It actually will be kind of expanding in some various ways in the next couple months that I will be Ooh. making some announcements. So, but yeah, so thank you everybody for your support. Now, before we get into the rest of the episode, we'll go to the original theme song created by Damon Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. And we are back from that theme song, uh, which the funny thing about that theme song, so it took Damien and I a while to kind of like really nail down that theme song in particular. We went through a couple different variations and we it was, we just really wanted it to be right. And the earliest episodes of the podcast, and Nick and I have talked about this before, we, Nick and I, get asked all the time, oh, I want to do a podcast. What do I do? And I started a podcast and now what do I do? <laughs> I have like three episodes that have never seen the light of day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> For sure. That were like, they, those were recorded in, oof, I want to say like either February or March of 2016, like way back then before I had actually bought my first um, theme song. 
And so we were recording off of like pond5.com. So every three seconds during the music would be pond5.com. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it took some time. But uh, yeah, anyway. All right, moving right along into the geek news. Uh, CinemaCon happened a while ago. I talked about that kind of very niche con that happened. The other very niche thing that happened with a lot of announcements was Star Wars Celebration. <laughs> and along with Star Wars Celebration came, oh yeah, just about a billion Disney Plus news items because they own the world at this point. <laughs> Accurate, honestly. I mean, it. there are a lot of people in the industry who are really still not sure how they feel about this merger of Disney and Fox and that, you know, is Disney becoming too big? Is this going to be good for the industry, bad for the industry? I definitely can see both sides of it. At the same time, as a fan of cinema, I think this is going to lead to some pretty incredible things. And some of the things that they announced, and again, this is kind of before Avengers Endgame, which again, kind of makes me wonder how all of this is going to tie in. They announced so many new shows that are going to be on Disney+. Plus. They announced there's going to be a Hawkeye show, which he is kind of going to be handing off the mantle to Kate Bishop, who took over for him in the comics. They announced a Winter Soldier and the Falcon kind of buddy cop show. They announced mm -hmm. a Loki show. They announced a Vision and Scarlet Witch show and an animated What If show. This is madness. <laughs> It's way too much content. Can I just say that? Like, <laughs> bless them for trying to give us what we want by giving us all of this stuff, but this is so much stuff. And you have Kevin Feige out there saying that this is going to impact the storytelling in, in the movies themselves. Like, the, the stories that happen mm -hmm. here beyond the what-ifs, which are, they're just like possible timeline type stuff. Um, right. Like, the things that happen in uh, WandaVision, which... By the way, great title. Yes. Um, will impact what happens in like Avengers 5 or whatever. <laughs> right. Now, I already bristle at how much homework I have to do in order to watch an Avengers movie. So giving <laughs> me like hours of a TV show on an app that I might not subscribe to doesn't sound like the best thing. Even though it sounds on its face like we're getting all of these new shows. I'm like, well, it sounds like homework a little bit. It, it kind of does. And I totally agree with you. I think that as of right now, with kind of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they kept being like, oh, this ties into so-and-so, and you can see this person. Nobody cares. There are like <laughs> 50 people who still watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and are the only ones who actually pick up those references between that and the movies. With all of this, you are totally right. Like, this is, this is so much. And the benefit of, like, Daredevil, Iron Fist, all of those, you could watch those if you wanted to, but none of it really connected. Like they always make these weird, you know, ties being like, Oh, the incident and all yeah, of this, incident. but there was never a directly, Hey, look, Iron Man just flew by. Like there's never that with this. These are going to be so intermeshed that I just, I mean, it makes sense as far as the plan, which is laying the groundwork. So the win Robert Downey Jr., and everybody will start to back away. They already have people and characters ready to shuffle in there. Because Kate Bishop, like, she was part of the Young Avengers. Mm -hmm. And so they could slowly start doing that. I think with Captain Marvel, they kind of did the same thing with Monica Rambeau. Where if they use that character in modern day, like, if we see her in Avengers Endgame or something like that, like, she could very well kind of become a leader in something like the Young Avengers. So it is just, it is going to be crazy. Not only are they doing the original shows, but because this is Disney and they own the world, they're also going to be dropping nearly everything else. <laughs> like they talked about uh, Simpsons. They're going to put all 30 seasons of the Simpsons on Disney plus. Whoa, uh, dang. I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Uh, quick. Ask me when the last season of the Simpsons I watched was. <laughs> when's the last time you ever watched like a new episode of the Simpsons at least 15 years ago <laughs> yeah that sounds about right like I just I mean cool good for them that they're still doing it 
I lost all interest in The Simpsons a very long time ago. But the big other the other big thing is that with Disney Plus, they announced the pricing, and this is I mean, every good dealer gives you the first one at a discount. <laughs> so they announced the pricing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Six dollars and ninety-nine cents, and you will have access to all of Disney. <laughs> this that oh boy. I gave it about 18 months before their first price hike. But that first 18 months at $6.99 is going to have a gajillion subscribers. Oh, yeah. And it's, and I mean, at that price, it's a great deal, too. It is. Now, whether or not the people who sign up for it have the uh, either the awareness of like just another subscription that goes onto your credit card going up in price or the uh, the awareness to think like, oh, you know what? Maybe I don't watch this that much. I'll just get mm-hmm. rid of it. Like they're just going to be printing money. Oh, once they absolutely. get that price hike. Well, that is the thing is kind of in the the fitness industry model of this, which was a, another you know past life of mine. <laughs> there are so many gyms that prey on people with really low memberships, knowing that you are never coming coming to the gym. You are never going to be there to lift a single but weight. But it's also so little that you're like, well. I might go back for like eight bucks a month. <laughs> exactly. And so with this. You never do. Yeah. With this, at least at seven bucks, like the content is insane. Like I think the first month that I get this, and yes, of course I'm getting this. I mean, that, come on now. The first month I get this is probably just going to be me watching old Disney stuff before I even get into the original content. Like, yeah, so does this mean that the uh, the famous Disney vault is a dead idea now? That you're yes. just going to be able to s- stream anything and you don't have to wait for like the platinum or diamond edition of like Snow White to come out anymore? Uh, yeah, pretty much. They talked about that and saying that all of the Disney animated movies are going to be on there, just flat out. And I think, yeah, our generation <laughs> being like, oh, you need to pick up this copy of Cinderella before nobody can buy it for 10 years. They realize, like, this is 2019. People are having (laughs) such a hard time buying physical media these days in general. With this, they're like, that that gap that we're going to have by buying the physical media versus this of streaming service, like, they're just, yeah, like I said, printing money. So we shall see. So that actually is set to launch November 12th in the U.S. and then eventually roll out uh, worldwide in a few months to a year, depending on a lot of streaming rights. Yeah, and and just one more quick uh, observation on mm-hmm. these these uh, the MCU shows in particular that they announced. I do think that it's interesting that they're going to be throwing around Netflix type money here, and they're going to get the actual actors who play these people in the movies <laughs> to be in the yeah. TV shows. It's not going to be an Agents of Shield situation where Clark Gregg is literally the most famous person you can get to go on TV. Like we've come so much farther in terms of what a streaming service or a TV show is even treated like. These people in the movies are willing to go do TV now. Yeah, I mean, and the flip side is you have huge name people wanting to do a Netflix movie, you know? And so mm-hmm. these are like huge name movie stars who, yeah, I think, I think it took a long time in the industry for people to have faith in a streaming style company, let alone service. Like, you know, so I think those barriers are starting to get, you know, lifted or murkier, but I'm here for it. So, so we will see about that. Uh, the next bit of geek news, Tomb Raider, which is arguably the greatest video game to movie adaptation. I say that because it was not complete garbage like a lot of them are. Uh, not a fan of Doom, huh? Oh, gosh. That movie is so <laughs> rough. So, so rough. Uh, but yeah, Alicia Vikander starred in the Tomb Raider movie from a couple years ago. And they are now in the process of writing a sequel. Which, with Tomb Raider lore, and especially with how young they kind of started this series with, with Leisha Vikander, you could do a lot in this universe. And I actually really enjoyed the last movie. So the fact that they are kind of going back into it, it did not make a ton of money. Uh, It did make over its budget, but that was mainly internationally. Domestically, it got crushed. So I think if they do some interesting partnerships with 
And a lot of the Chinese companies that we see with movies like Pacific Rim, where the Chinese production company is like, here is a gajillion dollars. Uh, you need to show this building. You need to have this actor in it. And you need to play this song. Here you go. I think that a movie like a Tomb Raider sequel could do really well with a partnership like that. Yeah, it's an interesting level of blockbuster, right? Because it it has the the polish of what looks like a summertime blockbuster, but it didn't do the numbers, and it it kind of looked bland to me. I was part of that box office crushing. I I never went to go see the Alicia Vikander one, and I have no regrets. If a second one comes out, like maybe I'll watch <laughs> the first one to catch up and see the second one. But I it seemed like one to miss to me. I'm surprised to hear that you liked it that much. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think they did. They took the Tomb Raider kind of lore and legacy and did some interesting things with like this this mythology that they built in the movie of this plague and this woman was possessed by a demon. It did not go the Angelina Jolie route, which was immediately like, oh, there's this fantasy mystical clock in the middle of Antarctica and you get transported. Some, like, what? <laughs> Like, you went from zero to 100 real quick. <laughs> Whereas this one, like, the Tomb Raider one that they did a couple years ago, much more grounded. And I really liked the kind of reveal that it had with the kind of demon mythology. So, mm. but yeah, so I, I, check it out. I mean, why not? It, it is, I'm sure it is available streaming somewhere. Uh, but, yeah, so we will yeah, we'll see. Be. They're kind I, of just I mean, in the writing. with your recommendation, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Nice. I, I appreciate that. Uh, then you will get mad at me if uh, you do not like it. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the next thing that is kind of in the process of getting done, that has been in the process of getting done for about six years, Why the Last Man, a fantastic comic book series that started in like 2002, went for six years, has been going through so many ideas for adaptations <laughs> It is tough to keep track of. They wanted to do a movie. They tried to do TV shows. FX still has first rights to a TV show. They filmed a pilot, got picked up, and then the showrunners just left. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're moving forward. Like, FX is still moving forward with it. And they are going to be announcing something soon. But I am just like, man, this is just one of those adaptations where... Anybody who has read the comic, this is a fairly easy adaptation to do as far as a yes. comic book universe to do. They just cannot seem to get it going. So I, who knows if we will actually see this at some point, but like Diane Lane and Barry Kogan, Keegan, Kogan, I have no idea how to. Kewin? I don't know. That, that kid is just weird. I have no idea how to pronounce his name. What else like, is he in? Uh, he did... That really killing of a sacred deer from a few years ago. Um, he does a bunch of weird projects. Oh, he but was the guy on the boat in Dunkirk. Yes, in the sweater. Yeah, I feel like that might be the thing that most people saw him in. Uh, American Animals. That was kind of a big thing that he did. But yeah, he he stays busy. Uh, I cannot really say if I'm a huge fan of him or not because it just I, I just yeah I, I'm not sure. But like they have a pilot he's all right. that they I mean, showed okay. FX and FX He'd be was okay like, in the lead. Yeah. I, I feel like Yorick was a bit more like charming and endearing in the comic, but I could see it. But yeah, so with this show, who knows if we will ever actually see a Why the Last Man TV show. But the fact that they had a pilot, they got picked up, and then the showrunners like creative differences bounce. It's interesting that that happened at FX, too, because I feel like they've built up uh, kind of a creator-friendly reputation, and now yeah. to see this fall through, and then, I don't know, it's, it feels like they're starting to lose their luster. I wonder if, to go back to the Disney thing, this had anything to do with maybe some uncertain footing with where things would go in the future with FX. I mean, that is true, because with the merger, it, it got real complicated, Uh Basically, 20th Century Fox is is the one that is officially gone. Like, that is the thing that got absorbed. Mm. Things like Fox News and a couple other Fox properties are, are still staying separate under a different kind of umbrella name. But, yeah, it got real murky. I mean, that is a good observation because, yeah, FX 
is is also in that kind of middle ground of like, where are why are mommy and daddy fighting? Like who do they at this point? Like who do they actually like? Who is their boss? Is it Disney? Is it Fox? Like, yeah. So yeah. that that could have something to do with that. That is something. Yeah, I had not thought about that. It's unclear, and any comic book adaptations that it's going to do are going to compete directly with what Disney's going to be pushing on their splashy new app. So, I I think that it's just hard to to go all in on something with any of these Fox or Fox adjacent networks right now because Disney's just looming over the entire thing and you might get cut down or like cut short and not get to finish your story. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true. So, I mean, I would like to see an adaptation of this at some point, but at the same time, I'm not in a rush. Like the series was so solid, you know, a few years ago. I, I If I never see a live action adaptation, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think I'd be cool with that. Um, Brian K. Vaughn, the writer of Why the Last Man, mm-hmm. is also the writer of uh, one of my other favorite comic book, uh, one of my other favorite comic books, Saga, which is just unadaptable. Yep, and I hope absolutely. that no one ever tries it because it'll be <laughs> terrible if you do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that is something where I have heard whispers of adaptations of that with through some of my industry friends. But yeah, I totally agree. That is impossible for it actually to be made and for it to feel like Saga. I think you could make it. I mean, if you look at something like Valerian in a City of a Thousand Planets, you can make any kind of sci-fi epic you want. But I just, with Saga, like that is just such a unique storytelling and mythology that they built. Yeah, I, I do not know if I ever want to see that attempted. Yeah. Uh, moving moving on to another uh, small franchise that uh, did a small thing recently. Uh, a movie called Star Wars uh, released their first, I hate that they're doing this, they call it a teaser trailer, and it is over two minutes long. Uh, yeah. It's like, that is not a teaser. It's got a lot of footage to be a teaser. <laughs> right. A teaser is like a 30-second, when they first did it with Avengers Endgame, it was like the black and white and red teasers that were like Twitter ads and Instagram ads. It was like 30 yeah, seconds. Should be a vignette. Just a short little, like, you get a sense. Just a sense. Yep. But no, uh, we got a, I'm calling it a full trailer for Star Wars Episode Nine: colon, Rise of Skywalker. So this kind of, you know, they always say, but this broke the internet <laughs> um, with a lot of things that they did in the trailer. But more, it was a lot of what they kind of alluded to. In the trailer. I mean, the whole reveal of Rise of Skywalker as the name immediately, like the Twitter sphere and the blogosphere was going crazy trying oh, to yeah. figure out what that means. Who Who is it? Is this the new term for Jedi as opposed to using that term? Is Skywalker just going to be what they call people, you know, who have force sensitivity? Who knows? But boy, are we going to have like how many months, uh, like six months of speculation? <laughs> I definitely contributed to that uh, Twitter storm because my, mm-hmm. that was my initial reaction. I was like, so raise a Skywalker. This sucks. Right. That's so lame. Because you think about the way that they've titled the rest of Ray's trilogy and all of the titles directly reference what she went through uh, in each of those. In the, in the first one uh, that Ray is in, episode seven, The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. The Force Awakens in her in that movie. Uh, in, in episode eight, she becomes the last Jedi because the other living one dies. Spoiler yep. alert. I think people know uh, what happens in Star Wars. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that one is safe. Yeah. So in this one, if it's not referencing her, if it's referencing Kylo Ren instead, who is half Skywalker, I think that that's a very strange turn for, for the franchise to suddenly name the finale of this trilogy after like the, the foil to the main character rather than the main character. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think they could go a few different. I mean, of course, they can go a few different ways with this, but it just if it is Kylo, this would be one hell of a redemption arc. If he then, because in the in some of the expanded universe and some of the other things, like if he were to f- be a founder of the new Jedi Temple, where he, I mean, but then again, like in this movie, we're going to see the Knights of Ren, aka the guys that he left with after they burned down the last temple. So it would be weird if suddenly he was like, 
oh, just kidding. I'm a good guy and here are my group of bad guys, but they're also, they went through another redemption arc or maybe I kill all of them. And so I, I still do not think that Ray is a Skywalker. I have never thought she was a Skywalker. I think she is a Kenobi. Hmm. So I thought she was the Skywalker after the first one because it seemed like the most obvious answer, and J.J. Abrams is an obvious person. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, he can be pretty uh, <laughs> on the nose with things. So I just, the trailer itself, though, it gave me enough to be excited about. I know a lot of people, for whatever reason, trash the last movie. The la- Well, the last, not Solo, but that one, you can trash that all you want. Yeah, that um, was garbage trash it <laughs> yeah but like return of the jedi return of the jedi like the last jedi the last jedi i mean i i still enjoyed it i know that it was a just a lot of people for whatever reason were upset so a lot of people on twitter were like well i guess i'll watch this one because it's the last one of the tro-. like shut up you're gonna see it anyway like you're not fooling yeah. anyone <laughs> if you're fired up enough about it to go online and complain about it you're definitely gonna tune in for the next one like disney knows that they have your money yes Absolutely. It's like the people who like write into uh write into radio shows, podcasts, TV shows, whatever, be like, I'm I'm gonna quit listening because of this thing that <laughs> right. you said. And then you get another message from them like a week later and you're like, Hey, hey Fred. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you're still yep. here. Uh definitely we're just like, I'm gonna give you one last chance before you lose me as a listener. And as podcasters and everything, we appreciate our listeners. But at the same time, like when we get that email more than once, come on, come on. You're, <laughs> the, just threat, stop. the threat rings a little hollow after a while. Yeah. Finn so, and Poe having adventures in this looks like a lot of fun. Um, can we also talk about the laugh, the cackle at the end? Yes. So that actually is one of the things that really set people ablaze. You know, this is we get the iconic laugh of the emperor, of Palpatine, and Again, if you if you are watching or reading some of the expanded universe stuff, he he pops up in other ways. And so is he actually going to be a physical person in this? 100% no. In my in my opinion, he is going to be a force ghost just like we have seen the Jedi have. Cuz at the same time, if you are believing that the Jedi can have force ghosts, but for some reason the Sith do not go to force heaven or a force version of hell and also could come back in some corporeal or semi-corporeal form. Why? So I, I think he's just going to be a forced ghost behind things like Snoke and behind things like the new order. But that laugh, like watching, watching this and like getting excited, but then it hits you with a laugh. It hooked me. They know what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, come on. I was just going to say, nobody does spectacle on the same level that Star Wars does. Like, you, you could have given me half of what was in this trailer and I'd still be excited about this movie. Yeah, absolutely. So it just, again, coming off of Solo, which was, you know, a little bit lame. This is still, this gave me those Star Wars feelings like I'd not had in a while. So in seeing Billy D in the Millennium Falcon again, come on. God, like, he's having a great time, isn't he? Yes, of course he is. <laughs> like, yeah, so I am super excited for that. So that about wraps it up uh, for the geek news. But yeah, there's just a bunch of stuff. If you just go on Twitter or something and just follow the hashtag Star Wars Celebration, you can read a ton more about all that stuff. Uh, but the last thing I want to talk about in the news section is we just opened up officially membership for the Seattle Film Critics Society It is open from now until June 30th. So if you are a Seattle-based filmmaker, film critic, uh, and you have been doing it for a while, even if it is something relatively new and you just want to turn an application and see kind of what the process is like, I highly, highly recommend you do that. The link will be in the description of this episode. So yeah, that application process goes from now until June 30th, and it would be fantastic if yeah, we could already get some, or we could get some new blood in the organization. We have already had a couple people apply for it, which is fantastic. So yeah, be a member of the Seattle Film Critics Society and kind of help us uh, expand the Seattle cinema landscape. Yeah, and okay. I'll say for anybody just like hesitant to put their name in the pot, like mm-hmm. no one 
no one is going to pluck you out of wherever you are and just like elevate you onto some stage. Like that doesn't really happen. You got to put yourself out there. <laughs> like just go for this thing. Yeah. If you don't get it this time, then at least they know who you are. And when you come back, they're like, oh, hey, I remember you. I'm familiar with your work now. Come on in. Now you remember. Like just put yourself out there. Absolutely. And we, or I mean, I mean, I'm on the board of, of directors, but also like the membership committee is is separate. If for whatever reason they do deny you, they try and give you a reason. So it is like, hey, you know, thank you for applying. You missed the amount of reviews for 2018. Work on X, Y, and Z, and we can look at something, you know, down the road. So yeah, so I definitely, same thing with Nick. Apply, get some feedback on on your work, and it would be great to have you as a member. Cool. The first official uh, review of this episode. Uh, unfortunately, Nick was unable uh, to see this, so it will just Sorry. be me. <laughs> you, you ruined it. How dare you? Uh, so it would just be me talking about the new movie called Master Z Ip Man Legacy. And this is directed by uh, Yun Wu Ping, who is the phenomenal, phenomenal martial arts choreographer, legendary, like name any martial arts movie that has gained critical acclaim in the past 40 years and most likely he had something to do with it. Dang. So, I mean, everything from Crouching Tiger, I mean, it just, it it is incredible. Like his first movie was Jackie Chan's first movie, which was Snake and Eagle's Shadow. So he was the martial arts choreographer for that. He himself is a phenomenal martial artist. His dad was a martial artist like way back in the old Shaw Brothers days with like uh, Drunken Praying Mantis. So just the legacy is there. He is 76 years old, I want to say, and is just phenomenal. So uh, this movie, Master Z Ip Man Legacy, is a spinoff but also sequel to Ip Man 3 starring Donnie Yen. That movie was the first introduction we had to the main character in this movie, uh, played by Jin Zhang or Max Zhang. I think he is switching his name <laughs> because on some of his other movies, even recent ones, he was going by Max Zhang. In this one, he is billed as Jin Zhang. Hmm. Not quite sure. I mean, we see this a lot, especially, I mean, we see it in the U.S. film industry, where actors, you know, modify their names, especially with a lot of Asian stars getting bigger in the U.S. This happens pretty frequently. So, but yeah, just Jin or Max Zhang, one of those. If you look at look for him, he is there. So we get introduced in, to his character in It Man Three. This is a continuation of his story after he. I mean, kind of a spoiler alert for It Man Three, but not really. So he essentially lost a fight to Donnie Yen's character in It Man 3. And that kind of propelled him to be like, okay, maybe I do not want to run a school anymore. Maybe fighting for the purpose of being the best is not really my motivation. So in this one, we see him as just a shopkeeper, you know, in this town with his son, just basically living a simple life while trying to ignore those ties back into the underworld. So we have, of course, the criminal crime bosses of the town who know exactly who he is. And they're like, yeah, we know that you can kind of beat everybody up. We need you to go beat this person up for us. And he was like, but I'm trying to be a good guy. So we have that dynamic. I have been watching these type of martial arts films most of my life because I just I love the genre. And you always get this interesting dynamic, especially movies from China, where you have the British imperial rule over the Chinese police, but the Chinese police usually want to side with the local Chinese characters. And so you get this dynamic in that. And this one actually does it really well. It is something that we have seen a bunch of times. And Nick, I mean, I'm sure in martial arts movies you have seen around the genre, you, you kind of know the feeling of it, of like, the British cops kind of hate everybody and the Chinese mm -hmm. cops hate the British cops, but the Chinese cops have a job to do because if not, the British cops come after them. Like it is just a weird situation that everybody is in. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it sounds like a pretty common setup that we have here. I wanted to, 
I wanted to ask you about a couple of the other actors that are in this thing because uh, mm-hmm. I, I did look up some information about this movie since I wasn't able to watch it. But uh, Michelle Yeoh is in this. Yes. Uh, Dave Bautista, Tony Jaa. Like, mm-hmm. tell me about what those three are up to in this movie. Are, is one of them the crime boss? Uh, two of them. <laughs> well, nice. technically three, but we never really know. <laughs> so Dave Bautista, he plays the the foreign American bruiser. That again, in this genre. You pretty much always have a large foreign bruiser in a lot of like the old ones like Operation Condor or Project A, like the Jackie Chan ones. It was usually like a Russian or a French guy that was suddenly like the best at Kung Fu. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) wait, what? All right, sure. Dave Bautista is, yeah, is a local crime boss, you know, American crime boss who we find out later. Of course, there's somewhat of a reveal that he has a crime boss. But come on, you you know, from the beginning, you were like. Yeah, you're a crime boss. You just got that vibe. Well, I think in, in one of the trailers, you see him and Zhang fighting. So, you know, it comes down to that. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is a crime boss. But again, she is that archetype of she is a crime boss. But the main thing she cares about is her community. Mm-hmm. So, yes, she extorts people. Yes, <laughs> she will go after people. But it is for the benefit of the community. And she does not want drugs involved in her district. That is not something that she wants to do. Tony Jaw, yes, he gets like fourth build in this. Uh, he is in like three scenes. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, at the same time, those three scenes are amazing. <laughs> so it is okay, like, cool. It is like, all right, uh, sure. But one of the things that is also incredible is like this genre where you take this period piece, you know, of early 20th century in China and this kind of old school martial arts movie will never go away. Like this genre will be around forever. And I love that. I love that as opposed to like the super hyper realistic movies like John Wick and Atomic Blonde, those are great. And I love those. But something about this traditional style martial arts film will always have a soft spot for me. And the fact that these fights are choreographed and the camera is 20 feet behind the action. So you see the real actors doing the real martial arts is amazing. I, d- I love that they continue that tradition of that style of filmmaking. Uh, there's a scene where we see Zhang, who again has been kind of fighting internally of who he wants to be. He does the same thing that Obi-Wan does in like the Star Wars Rebels cartoon. And they do in kind of Dragon Ball Z type of thing where in the middle of a fight, they take a different stance that then is reminiscent of either <laughs> their master or something else in the in a pivotal fight scene in this where he is doing his fight, like his own style. He then suddenly goes into Donnie Yen's stance from the It Man oh. series. And immediately, like, I was like, yes, it was it was awesome. And then, of course, he proceeds to kick everybody's ass. Uh, <laughs> so just I really like that. This, compared to the other It Man films, is way more of a romance and a love story. And if anybody has seen any Chinese romance films, oof, they lay it down thick. Um, (laughs) it It is a trope in a lot of Asian cinema where when you have this love story and like the orchestral score sweeps in, slow mo shots of the woman and man looking at each other, and you're like, oof. Uh, but that happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so we, we do get a love story in this, but as much as it is heavy-handed, it is still palatable. Like, in some of these, it is just way too much. Uh, but yeah, the fight choreography was was absolutely incredible. Michelle Yeoh, my goodness. Um, a legend. A legend. And at almost 60 years old, she looks incredible. Her skills are still absolutely incredible. And even though there was some interesting choreography where her back was to the camera a few different times doing some of the larger stunts, you whatever stunt person is in there, Michelle Yeoh has earned her stripes. If you oh, yeah, watch s- some of the old outtakes of the Jackie Chan movies she was in where she was on a motorcycle landing on a train and falling off and down a mountain, yeah, you, you deserve a stunt double at this point in your life. <laughs> So, yeah, so I I definitely enjoyed this. Uh, So for the official rating 
of Master Z Itman Legacy, which is tangentially Itman 4, except Itman 4 comes out later this year with Donnie Yen. It is a, a bit of a mess. Uh, but the rating system for the About to Review podcast, there are only three choices. Good, bad, or ugly. No stars, no letter grades. Good film is something you would recommend. Bad is something you did not necessarily want to talk to people about right away. Ugly, avoid at all costs. So Master Z, Ip Man Legacy starring Max slash Jin <laughs> Zhang uh, gets a good. I had a great time at this movie. It is weird because like on the poster, he is labeled as Max. On IMDb, he's listed as Jin. I, I, I'm not sure. So oh, that's weird. It is. And again, we, we see it pretty often, you know, with people kind of changing names to be more kind of palatable. I mean, Michelle Yeoh did the same thing. When she first, her first movie, she was not billed as Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. So we see it pretty often. But yeah, it gets a good for me. I love the genre. The fight choreography was great. Uh, yeah, so definitely check it out if you are a fan of watching people get punched and kicked in the face. Uh, m- moving on to a movie that kind of punched and maybe kicked us in, in the heart. Uh, Hellboy, directed by Neil Marshall. So starring Mila Jovovich, uh, David Harbour, and then a bunch of other random people. That Ian McShane? You got to name Ian McShane. Ian McShane is on like nine and a half in this movie, <laughs> and he's giving it like... You can tell that he's not giving it his all, but he is being over the top in some spots from like, wow, you you had no idea what movie you were in. <laughs> nope. Uh, well, and plus, he, his character in this is very similar. I mean, maybe not very similar to what he is doing on American Gods these days, but... I mean, oof, his, yeah, but yeah, he, he is at 11, uh, this movie, but Nick, uh, do you want to, do you want to set up Hellboy for us? Because I know that you have been a fan of, of Hellboy. That was one of the reasons that I wanted you on this episode. So go ahead and, uh, talk us, talk to us about Hellboy. Yeah. So Hellboy is based on the comics, uh, originally by Mike Mignola, um, a Portland artist actually. Yep. So, uh, Pacific Northwest pride there. Um, it's a dark horse comic, so it was creator owned. Um, and he did the writing and the art for it. The basic gist of it is that Hellboy is this half-demon, half-human being here on Earth, kind of wandering around and fighting fighting fantastic beasts, basically. (laughs) Like, things, things that go bump in the night are what, Hellboy gets called in to take care of. Like, there's there's something weird going on in the town. It's like a very very dark Scooby Doo that's even more referential to to folklore, um, all kinds of things. Like, you'll you'll have uh, a series in Hellboy where he'll talk to the Baba Yaga mm-hmm. from like Russian folklore, but then also interact with King Arthur and Arthurian legend in the same yep. way. And that's actually something that happens. In this movie, and if you're not familiar with Hellboy at all and how much he bounces around from these different things, because there are also scenes in uh, Mexico in this one as well, then I think that you'll be very kind of on your heels for a lot yeah. of the movie because he's jumping around quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this, <laughs> I mean, and for people who only know of Hellboy from the first two movies, this is not the same at all. Uh, Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro, when he was doing the first two, like he he combined those elements, you know, like you were talking about, with multiple mythologies and multiple cultures and and all those beliefs. But he made it a fantasy. The thing that Hellboy always was from the beginning, you know, when Mike was first doing these, this was a horror comic. Mm-hmm. Like this was not something that was this beautiful, grotesque fantasy that del Toro created like the Hellboy comics, like they were dark, they were gritty. It was a horror comic. This movie definitely tries to go more that direction. And as much as it does feel sometimes more like the comic book because of those dark elements, the tone of this is all over the map. I mean, the pacing we go from, Location to location, eight times in this movie, like and locations that, wh- why are we making these jumps? And it would be weird points too, or like there would be this like 
big climactic thing that would happen. And then suddenly in the next scene, it is a completely different tone. It is back to like being the funny jokey Hellboy. And it was like, wait, what? Like, were we not just talking with the demon? Like, what is what is happening? <laughs> yeah, I wonder. So part of the reason why this got rebooted is because when Ron Perlman and Guillermo del Toro and the, the group that did the first two movies were ready to do the third one, Mike Mignola hadn't finished up his Hellboy story in the comics. And he felt very um, rightfully kind of like protective of getting to tell the ending to his own story. This was something that he had been mm-hmm. working towards for like two decades. So I think right. the guy like deserves some space to be able to tell his own story. Um, George R. R. Martin didn't get that opportunity, for example. Like he's going to see the yeah. ending to his story told by somebody else, and that sucks. Um, so they never made the third one with Ron Perlman and Guillermo del Toro, even though they they were both down to do it. Um, and instead, we're getting this reboot that it feels like Mignola perhaps had too much influence over because there are portions of the movie that feel incredibly like the comic books. Absolutely. I mean that in some positive ways and some very negative ways because something that happens in the comic book all the time is that Hellboy is pretty ignorant of like his, his past and his role as a half demon person on earth. Uh, uh, In particular, his possible role in some sort of apocalyptic event. Mm -hmm. Um, that may have been foretold when he was even summoned to Earth. So in the comics, the way that he finds out about these things usually is that he's he's fighting some demon or the, uh, some blood queen or some other <laughs> fantastic person, and they'll try to turn him. You're like, no, you should join yeah. us. Why are you fighting for them? Uh, let me tell you this whole story that is the backstory of like why you need to be with us instead and in the comic books that's cool because you can spend an entire issue kind of getting away from him crawling around in dungeons and take a trip into the past or like a possible future and it's a cool Mm -hmm. departure in the movie by the time you do this the seventh time it mostly (laughs) feels like lazy storytelling that like everything becomes either a flash sideways or a flashback and it's just voiceover and then things happening that feel detached from the story, but you know that they're necessary because otherwise, why would they be taking the time to do this flashback to tell you about this thing? So in some ways, it's like tr- it's much, much truer to the comics than the Guillermo del Toro, Ron Perlman uh, adaptation. But I think that in some really, really unfilm friendly ways. I, I totally agree. And I think that, again, like we we're talking about with Why the Last Man or Saga some of these are much easier to adapt. Some of them are really difficult. So with this one, the creature design was much more similar to the comic book. Because as much as Del Toro, like his creature design is on a whole different level oh, in yeah. general. And so the stuff that he made for that will stand the test of time. The creatures we see in this are terrifying and they are grotesque. And they just, they have this kind of raw nature to them that fits very much with the tone of the original comic book. But man, some of this just did not work. I feel like this was just, I mean, you mentioned it, you know, the comics and the storytelling, like this was such a step backwards in comic book movie filmmaking. I feel like if this had come out after blade two, it would fit right into the tone. Yeah. If this had come out around like that first X-Men trilogy, people would be like, this is good. You got to watch this. Absolutely. Like 20 (laughs) years ago, this movie would make all of the money and it would be such a unique, different tale. But it just, it swings and misses on so so many different aspects. What was interesting is like, other than the two live action movies, there were two really, really great animated movies that came out a few years ago. There's Storm of Swords or Sword of Storms and Blood and Iron. It was like 2006, 2007. Those are incredible because I think with animation, you can fit the tone visually to immediately hook people into the Hellboy kind of universe. And this one, like as much as they were trying, like David Harbour, like when I saw the panel for this at New York Comic Con last year and the whole cast was there except for Mila Jovovich. She was off in a desert somewhere filming and like she sent a video of her in a desert being like, wish I could be there. But she was not really on a set, it looked like. And it was like, 
I just hang out in the desert? Like, all right, do your thing, Mila Jovovich. You can do whatever <laughs> you want. It was just kind of weird. Um, David Harbour talked about, like, how in shape he got for this and how he had to get used to the right hand of doom and he would put a hockey mitt on and he would do all of this stuff. But with how much prosthetics there are on top of him, it was like, bro, why did you have to get in so much shape when you knew that this was just going on top of you? Like, good for you for getting in shape. But when you can tell that so many of this is just pieced together, mm-hmm. that yeah, was kind of weird. He's not an action star, and he didn't do himself any favors by talking about the incredible shape that he got into because there's one particular scene where it's it's very action-y. There's some giants, and David Harbour is just kind of huffing and puffing through the scene, and I'm like, this <laughs> this is not a good action sequence, man. <laughs> they're, they're trying so hard to make this look better than it really is, and I I also heard that it was a very troubled production as well like neil marshall the director got kind of jerked around by the producers of this thing and apparently didn't get final cut um i can't remember where i was reading that but i was like that is ridiculous like neil marshall for people who aren't familiar with him is responsible for some tv history he directed uh blackwater for game of thrones Mm -hmm. and oh shoot one other big game of thrones uh big action um episode as well i can't remember the other one off the top of my head so i was excited just based on like neil marshall this looks like a horror take on Hellboy this time. Like, I was in. I am the target audience for this thing. I love the comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, the thing is just a mess. It's such a mess. <laughs> it's so jumbled and all over the place. And in the opening sequence, they introduced some Arthurian legend. And I didn't <laughs> know that that was going to come back at some point. Because I was like, there's no way they're going to do that storyline in this movie. And they managed to cram it in anyway. And it feels... Yep. Completely rushed. Everything is rushed. The second half of the movie, you're you're bored, even though there are a million things going on. <laughs> that was something that, I mean, I talked about this. The last movie that gave me that type of feeling that you described was Transformers The Last Night. When I was like, how can there be this much going on and I am still bored? Yeah. Like, that is weird. And the other thing, like, going back to uh, Neil Marshall, like, this is a horror director. Like, he did The Descent which is one of the scariest movies that I have seen because of the atmosphere, because it just like, he knows how to shoot horror. He did dog soldiers, which is a ridiculous mess of a movie, but I, I kind of love that movie. <laughs> but like he knows how to film horror. We only really get that horror for about 10 minutes at the very end. And then to tie it back into star Wars, there's like an executive order 66 MacGuffin that suddenly like it takes this like ramping up of demons and these monsters and we get 10 minutes of it and then nothing. (laughs) Yeah. That, that one actually, so I've, I've already come full circle with the ending a couple times because Mm. (laughs) it reminded me of the comic books and I won't spoil anything, but something that happens a lot in the comics is that Hellboy will get involved in this like huge apocalyptic situation and then, Things just kind of end and he has to go on and <laughs> right. keep on being Hellboy and like crushing things and, and helping humanity, even though like he gets no resolution himself. And oftentimes the audience is put in the same position that Hellboy is put in where something magnificent happens or seems like it should happen. But instead, it's a huge letdown because oftentimes when you're dealing with devils and demons, like the resolution isn't going to be good. <laughs> so yeah. I I've come like. When I left the theater, I was like, that ending sucked. Like, what a, what a letdown. And then I was like, well, it actually was really true to the comics, so maybe it's good. And I, I don't know what side of that I'm on now, but it, <laughs> I, I think it's, I think I'm on the wrong side of it now. I think that I came back to not liking it. <laughs> okay. Because this I, thing doesn't work as a movie. This is, a, this is, <laughs> this is like six different comic book uh, arcs all crammed into two hours and it feels like you're reading a Wikipedia page of what happened to Hellboy instead of actually experiencing it with him. And to go to go back to Neil Marshall and like him being able to do horror well, I thought that this movie was too bright. Like way too much of it happens in in the sun, and mm-hmm. I see too much of Hellboy. Like one of my favorite stories that I like to tell people about Hellboy and Mike Mignola's art in particular is that Mike Mignola didn't even know what Hellboy's non uh, stone hand looked like 
until another artist had yeah. to draw Hellboy and he needed to give him a reference because his comic books are so dark and everything is in so much shadow that he'd never drawn the hand in the first, like, I can't even remember how many years he'd been doing the character. And then someone finally asked him about it. He's like, oh, let me <laughs> draw you up a reference for that because I do not know yet. I've never had to draw it. He's always in shadow. The movie was mm -hmm. way too bright for me. I mean, yeah, and that definitely that points to a lot of the things that one thing that they did right in this is that along those same lines, when you look at the old comic books, people always joke about like skipping leg day. Hellboy always skipped leg day in the comics. Yeah, <laughs> in the comics, he his upper body was so gigantic and he had this right hand of doom, spindly little left arm and spindly little legs. Mm -hmm. That kind of works in this film, but even we never really get they still have yet to get the size of Hellboy right. Like something is still off. Yeah, I don't know what it is. And it's it's certainly more difficult when you have a larger actor like David Harbour and then you have to put the stuff on top of him. Um, For like sure. I think about uh, Doug Jones who played Abe Sapien in the other two Hellboy movies. Yes. And just how friendly his body is to all the prosthetics because he's like real thin mm -hmm. and you can just do anything to that body. It's a blank canvas. Like you can add as much prosthetics on top of it and he can make it work david harbour like you you see david harbour oh 100 percent. like there's there's one scene where uh uh he is shirtless and i'm like man it's so weird that they just pasted a six-pack on top of this dude like it looks weird yeah um and then we have to we have to talk briefly um the the villain of this piece is mila jovovich who I love Mila Jovovich for some dumb reason. I have seen all of her movies, uh, including ones where she is a vampire hunter, even though she herself is kind of a vampire. She was a hemophage and ultraviolet. Um, she is so bad in this movie. So, so very bad. Like, again, 20 years ago for a comic book movie, if this had come out, people would be like, oh, all right, sure. She is kind of weird and over the top, but it works. This is just a mess. Uh, her character, first of all, is not even in it that much for as much as she is pivotal to the storyline. And I did that. The way this movie opened with her and this Arthurian legend, I was like, oof, okay, here we go. Like it, if you are doing a pre kind of credits role in your film, like before we get the title screen, that needs to set the tone and hit you right away. This set the tone all right. And it made me real nervous. <laughs> See, I actually like the the opening scene because Ian McShane does the voiceover for it. And it ends just so over the top that I was like, okay, they're, they're not going to take this too seriously. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be fun. And then they clearly couldn't figure out which tone yeah. to stick with because it, it, it jumps all over the place after that. And I was like, oh, well, that, that didn't execute on that promise. Yeah, because this, this earned its R rating. In about the last 10 minutes and a few other scenes and that is it. Like it is horribly gory and graphic, but in such short bursts and like the, the stuff that we get the most of that in the last 10 minutes is kind of it. And the last 10 minutes, I really liked the creature design and where they were going. And then it just the, the resolution to that. Yeah, was just so. Here's how much of a dork I am. I actually follow the Hellboy movie uh, Instagram account because, uh -huh. again, I am the target audience for this thing. And they put out an ad on there the other day that touted gore throughout. And I was like, oh, man, this is <laughs> – that's not what we go to the movies for anymore, guys. Like, No. <laughs> we have the Saw franchise. We're not going to see Hellboy for the gore throughout. Like, it's – no. Oh man, you can tell they just know that they have a turd of a movie and they're trying absolutely anything to try to get people out to see it. And it it bums me out. I love the character. I love the source yeah. material. And this movie just does not do it justice at all. Yeah. So I I think for people who are on the fence, if they have not seen the animated versions, check those out. Seriously, the animated versions are the best versions that we have kind of seen with with this character. Um, around that same time those came out, they did like an amazing screw on head. They did a pilot commercial or pilot animation for that. That was great. Just with, with Mike Mignola, like there's such a unique style that live action is just, is always going to be rough. So uh, I think that is about it though. Those were kind of my notes for the most part. Uh, there is a mid credits reveal 
um, that I, I saw coming a mile away. Uh, but yeah. Tell me about that off air because I didn't stick around for that. <laughs> gotcha. Yep. Fair enough. Oh, no. Actually, uh, yeah, I, I think it might not have even been a mid-credits. It might have been right at the end. So I think I think you were still there. But uh, regardless, so Hellboy, directed by Neil Marshall, starring David Harbour, Mila Jovovich, Sasha Lane. And that was the other thing, you know, we touched on it briefly, the production issues that this had. Uh, Daniel Day Kim, you know, being cast in this as well. And his character Daimyo. had some, in- yeah, Daimo, like he had some interesting things, but that also, that was part of the production issues that this had. But uh, Sasha Lane was also in this and her character did not really make any sense. Um <laughs> Because then suddenly it is not just Arthurian <laughs> legend. It's like, oh, no, Alice in Wonderland is also real? Sure. Okay. Again, so. if you're not familiar with the comics and how much it just decides to jump from folklore to folklore <laughs> and story to story, like it, it's very off-putting how disjointed all of the characters are. And like, wait, you can turn into a cat? Like, when did that become a right. thing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... I will turn it to you first for your official rating, good, bad, or ugly, for Hellboy. So, this is an ugly. And I know it's an ugly because people were asking me about this movie because I was actually hyped for it beforehand. And I'm like, the Mm -hmm. only person I know who was. And they're like, so? Should I see it? And I I didn't want to tell them (laughs) the truth because the truth is don't go see this movie. It's a mess. Yeah, and this is a movie that they did not screen for a lot of critics on the West Coast. Like, this is... And you would think in the movie industry these days with comic book adaptations that they want to screen everything. Yeah, they did not. So I paid real cash money uh, to see this movie. (laughs) And unfortunately, my official rating is also ugly. Like, I... And that... (sighs) It just... It makes me sad. Because... It had potential. There were moments that made sense, but narratively, it was just a mess. Like, it was all over the place. None of the tones matched up. I know a lot of people, when I saw it online, they were like, yeah, but this is a type of, you know, even though the narrative doesn't make sense, I had a lot of fun. It is hard for me to shut my brain off sometimes and just be like, all right, this is just happening. So I know a lot of people, or not a lot, I know a few people who did see this and said that they did enjoy it because of the absurdity but yikes uh yeah it didn't embrace the absurdity enough for me because i i was there for that ride like that's the opening scene i was like okay cool yeah let's have some fun and it it just gets bogged down in some really strange ways yeah totally well cool so uh yeah two uglies for hellboy ouch um so on the northwest nerd side of things what do you guys have coming up you and your podner a dire. Yeah. So on the Northwest Nerd Podcast, which you can find on anywhere you listen to podcasts, your Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, just look for NW Nerd. Uh, we are actually launching into six straight weeks of Game of Thrones content starting this week. Uh, I believe that we'll still be posting those on Thursdays. So it'll be combination reaction to the episode that aired on the Sunday prior and kind of a look forward to the episode coming up until obviously the final one. I am a gigantic Game of Nerds. I mean, not Game of Nerds, <laughs> Game of Thrones nerd. There we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I can't wait to just uh, to get people I like into a room and subject them to my... <laughs> Game of Thrones pedantry. It's going to be great. I cannot wait for that either. If you ever need uh, assistance with that, I love those books. I've read all of them. I've read all of the appendices, all the other books like Dunkin' Egg. Oh, Uh, nice. I I love Game of Thrones. Uh, I had people who, friends of mine, being like, oh, we're going to Game of Thrones trivia. I did bad. I was like, why did you not call me? Like, what were you doing? Did you want (laughs) to win? So... That's how I that's how I know you're like a real fan because you're offended that you didn't get the call. You're like, come on, you know this is my thing. Seriously. <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh, uh, cool. That's and then awesome. where can yeah, no, uh, you're probably gonna get the call then. <laughs> nice. Uh, and then where can people find you and Northwest Nerd on social media? Uh, on all of the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you search for NW Nerd, you can find us. Our the SEO is strong. Uh, that's a Game of Thrones reference. You'll get it if you watched at least the first season. Um, mm-hmm. 
sometimes I make that one and people are like, I don't even remember that. And then I say the seed is strong and they think that it's an even weirder reference. So yeah, if you're into Thrones, (laughs) come check us out. Uh, We're also uh, hitting pause on season three right now uh, where you can find our regular show, our magazine type ones where we do original reporting and reaction to news, kind of like your geek news uh, segment. We have an analogous Mm -hmm. news discussion segment on our show as well. And then uh, roundtable episodes, which you've been a part of in the past as well. Uh, yeah, NW Nerd on all the social platforms. Um, we're fairly active on them and fairly responsive. So if you do listen to the show, let us know what you think, and uh, you'll probably hear from us. Fantastic. And all of those links will be in the description below. Uh, upcoming uh, About to Review episodes. So there are a couple movies coming out. Uh, the Curse of La Llorona and Teen Spirit are are coming up. So those will most likely be on next week's uh, episode. So yeah, it, this is again, kind of that weird time before end game where some of the studios are like, okay, we do not want to get crushed for four weeks of Avengers. So here's a smaller movie. Please go watch it. Uh, and then end game. Yeah. is right around the corner. So definitely, uh, some interesting times as for the about review podcast, new episodes are out every Week And in the three years that I have been doing this, I realized I have only missed, I think, four weeks. Dang. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it That's is impressive. It, it is madness is what it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can find the podcast on all forms of social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube.com slash About to Review and About to Review dot com, which has full links to the show notes and guests like Nick and Northwest Nerd. If you want to support the show and get a birthday present. Uh, a three-year birthday present. There is a support tab on the website with the PayPal link. There's also an Amazon wish list uh, as well. If you want to click that and help support the studio by picking up a couple random things, that would be fantastic. So for this episode of the About to Review podcast, I have been joined by... Nick Jarn, a Northwest nerd. And I have been your host, that guy named John. Thank you, Nick, for making time to... Uh, to be on this episode, uh, we need to do another uh, big collaboration between our shows and let our powers combine. Oh, we will. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. And we'll see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.